friends. I'm Stephen Perkins. This is my podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. I've been told that the introduction uh, with the music, kind of like the, the hard rock music and a cheery, hi friends, does not really go together. Uh, so I, I don't know what to do about that. I've been trying to get John Mayer to sing me a song, but, uh, but he hasn't done it yet. And I'm just feeling left out. Uh, I, I, want to talk this week because today, Tuesday, is the day that the Senate confirmation hearings have started uh, for a number of Donald Trump's political appointments. Uh, The first one being Jeff Sessions for the Department of Justice to be Attorney General. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to talk about Rex Tillerson uh, being appointed to state, Betsy DeVos at Education. Uh, But first, I I just want to talk a little bit about uh, another horror story that I have. And I'm starting to think that I should not leave my house anymore uh, to do anything because I keep having these unfortunate run-ins. So the first time I reported to you with a horror story, it was for Pizza Hut. Um, Then it was like Macy's. And now this one involves the place where, you know... I, of all people, really should not be uh, a honky-tonk bar. So I was uh, I, I was going to see a concert with some friends, which is interesting because I'm not that big of a concert goer. Um, uh, I like my philosophy is that if you're going to a concert, you should listen to music, um, whereas some uh, young females believe that you should get drunk and start fights. Actually, that's part of the theme for this story. But so we go to this concert and it's at a uh, it's at a, a, a dance hall, a honky tonk, if you will, uh, here in Texas, uh, as you know, basically, as people from out of the state think, that's all we have that and horses. Uh, and um, and so before the concert starts, the thing is that you generally like there's a dance floor and people go and they dance and they two step and 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 you know, the dances that one does. I don't, I don't know. I know at a two-step, that's the thing. Um, I know at a two-step. And and so we are just hanging out on the side of this dance hall area. And we're looking at the dance floor and we're just kind of chatting a little bit. Uh, And this woman comes up, this young woman comes up and, uh, and, and asks, uh, someone, a couple of people down from me, still in my group, but asked if they know how to dance to this song, which I, I thought was kind of a, a weird question because it wasn't like a song that had a line dance with it or it wasn't the Cupid Shuffle or something of the sort. God, don't get me started on the Cupid Shuffle. But she said, do you know how to dance to this song? And and, and they pointed at, at this one person and he was like, I don't, I don't know how to do it. And then they pointed at me and... I, I'm not one to volunteer myself for these situations, uh, but I, I was like, well, I, I don't know, you know, specifically what you're looking for, like what dance you're talking about, but I, I know what a two-step and, and I, you know, we could do that. And she goes, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever this dance of this song is. And I said, well, I, I think it's a two-step. Like I'm looking at people on the floor. I think it's a two-step. There's like a small group doing a line dance, but I don't think this song has a line. I've never even heard the song before. So, uh, so we go to the dance floor and on the way there, she keeps saying like, do you, do you know that, are you sure you know the dance for this song? And I was like, I, I'm telling you that I know the two-step and I think that I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And if it's not, then I, I don't know, we'll figure it out. And we get there and we start dancing and we start, and, and by the way, the big thing for this is she says, well, I don't know how to two-step, so uh, you'll have to teach me. 
Um, and being the wonderful teacher that I am, especially of things that involve rhythm, uh, you know, I, I, I was willing to do so. Um, and so we get to the dance floor, we start dancing and I, I, I try to show her and, and she gets frustrated. I'm sure not because of my teaching, but because she keeps saying, I don't think this is the dance they're doing. And I said, well, I don't know what dance they're doing, but I'm doing the dance that I know how to do. And you can two step to virtually anything. <sighs> my temper was raising, but I had to, I took a breather, right? You have to be respectful to people, especially strangers. So I'm told. And, uh, and, and so we get halfway out into the dance floor and she's looking around at the other people dancing and she goes, no, I know this dance. And I said, like the dance we're doing? And she said, yeah, this is the two-step. I said, yeah, congratulations, sweetie. Uh, you understand your dances. Uh, and she said, no, I know how to do this one. I was asking you how to do the one to this song. And at this point, my head's about to explode because I figure I, I have been telling you for 15 years, ever since we walked over here, that all I know how to do is the two step. And I'm pretty sure that's what they're doing here. Blah, blah, blah. And, and she gets mad and she leaves. We're, we're in the middle of a dance floor. Not that many people, but certainly a lot of people watching. And she just leaves the dance floor. Uh, and, and I follow her. And she's uh, fuming as one does and storms off and goes up to the bar, hopefully to get 15 drinks. She needed it to loosen up a bit. And, uh, and, and I go back to my group and they're like, what happened? I said, well, we got in an argument, which is typical, right? I get in an argument with someone, uh, with, with a woman who wants to dance. This is why I don't date women. And, uh, and she comes by later on and just glares at me. She glares at me as if I like insulted her grandmother, which I'm sure her grandmother is probably annoyed by the attitude that this woman has, but I digress. She glares at me and I'm like, I, I don't know what I did really all I, I never lied I said each and every time that all I knew how to do was two-step and then you say you don't know how to turns out you do you're dissatisfied if this was on a customer survey I don't think I would be fired so and then later on during the concert because the concert was in a different area it turns out that she passes by again and glares and it was like at that point it was three hours ago and she can't let go of it so the moral of this story is don't be that type of person. Don't be a person um, who leaves someone in the middle of a dance floor. Don't be someone who engages in a fight in the middle of the dance floor. Because let me tell you, if this is going to be a contest about who can out-sass and out-scream each other, I assure you, my darling, I will win. So this possibly brings me to Trump's appointments because we are now seeing in the halls of the Senate, these uh, Senate confirmation hearings taking place for uh, this morning, Jeff Sessions. Uh, I, I think they're also doing the Department of Homeland Security uh, hearing today. We also have Rex Tillerson coming up with state, Betsy DeVos at education. Those are the, the three that I'm really uh, interested in, the Sessions, Tillerson, and DeVos. I've been watching the Sessions uh, uh I've been watching the Sessions line of questioning all morning because I have no other life than to watch an old Southern senator talk about how he would run the Department of Justice, even though that has no bearing as to how I operate as a human. This is what strikes me about Jeff Sessions. I don't know much about Jeff Sessions. I know that he has a complicated history, I guess is what you could say. I know that he has a record that is 
Um, also kind of complicated. He supported some legislation that uh, has been beneficial. Uh, other pieces of legislation, he's taken issues with certain provisions. They brought up a lot today, the uh, the, the Violence Against Women Act uh, that, that apparently he had some challenges with. Um, they bring up uh, his record as the attorney general in Alabama, in which, uh, again, complicated history because it's not really... In my view, it's not entirely clear uh, whether the campaign against him, whenever he was uh, being confirmed to be the attorney general, or whenever he was becoming the attorney general in Alabama, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that that campaign against him wasn't fabricated in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but w- what's interesting with Jeff with Jeff with Jeff Sessions is that uh, a lot of his Political opponents, if you will, uh, are, of course, coming out against him. A lot of Democratic senators, including Senator Cory Booker, who, to my understanding and from the media reports I've seen, will be the first uh, lawmaker to testify against uh, one of his one of his own uh, one of his own colleagues, because Jeff Sessions is a member of the committee that is that he is testifying in front of for the confirmation, the uh, the the oversight committee. Uh, Senator Booker is set on Wednesday, if you're listening on Tuesday tomorrow, um, he is set to actually testify against Jeff Sessions, which to my understanding is quite historical. So, but, but, that, but that's also, other than the testimony part, the, the idea that uh, political opponents will come out against uh, your nomination uh, seems commonplace, right? Possibly not as much in the Senate because of the traditionally uh, fraternal type of situation that the that the Senate is, the environment that it is, where um, it, it's more of an and I I don't mean this in any subjective way, but it's more of an elite uh, um, body, and so I, I I think that for Sessions because of this all surrounds a supposed history with, uh, with, with challenging race relations and kind of this idea that the overall idea being pushed is that Jeff Sessions is, um, is not friendly to, uh, to minorities. Um, some senators would go as far, although I haven't heard it necessarily outright said this morning or this afternoon in the committee, but some, would say, some senators would say that um, as Senator Graham said, uh, they would say that he is a, a a conservative from the South, which is in many ways um, a way to cover up the fact that you're calling them a racist. Uh, so the overall idea from many on, uh, on the other side of the aisle is that Jeff Sessions is a racist, should not be, um, should not be the attorney general. Um, and, and, and you have a lot of, of, of his opponents coming out against him. What's also interesting, though, is you actually have a, a lot of organizations uh, who are organizations and lobby groups who have battled with him in the past. You could go as far as to say that they are a political opponent. They are actually coming out and supporting him for, for various reasons. And so I, I think for the typical American watching, 
uh, the Sessions nomination is a challenging thing because you're not really sure about his past. A lot of it is being muddled, and in my view, a lot of it is being taken out of context. But I think it's also kind of challenging because you see people who have been historically against him. Some uh, of, of those people are continuing to be against him. Some of them are uh, coming out and, and endorsing him. It's, it's a very interesting thing. But what I have seen outside of the Senate chambers, outside of Washington, um, from people who I have uh, talked to about the issue, is you have a lot of people um, who, in my opinion, are making a judgment about Senator Sessions without really understanding him, without knowing him. In other words, judging based on the limited, sometimes uh, incomplete reporting that the media does and the propaganda, and I, I don't mean propaganda uh, in a negative way, but strictly in the definition, the propaganda that has been put out by Democratic lawmakers who um, greatly uh, oppose his nomination to attorney general. Uh, and, and a lot of senators asking, the, the typical line of questions uh, this morning has been, well, here's a bunch of laws uh, which, as a senator, you voted against or you disagreed with or you have said these things or not just laws, but some of them issues such as broader issues such as abortion or or uh, or the protection of, of voting rights. And these senators from the left have been saying, you know, as as a lawmaker, you uh, you oppose these things, you said these things. So how in the world are you going to uphold the law as the attorney general when you personally disagree with these things? Another line of questioning has been, how are you going to tell Donald Trump no? Because the attorney general, on occasion, you would hope, would have to tell the president no when things go outside the bounds of the Constitution, go outside the bounds of established law. Uh, that, I think, is a little more... I, I think that is a fairer line of questioning. But I, 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 I really believe that this idea that Senator Sessions cannot discern between what the law says and being attorney general, being a law enforcer, and his own opinion of the law, the idea that he can't discern between those two is laughable. And quite honestly, the fact that it's coming from Democrats who uh, overwhelmingly supported people like Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch is embarrassing for them. It is hypocritical to the extreme because you have two attorney generals, Holder and Lynch, who I think are, are generally good people. I don't think they're out to destroy the country. I don't think they have bad motives. I'm sure they're great people uh, who have opinions that I don't agree with. But at the end of the day, these Democrats don't take issue with Eric Holder interpreting the law to fit his agenda or Loretta Lynch interpreting the law to fit her agenda and to fit the president's agenda. And so the line of questioning today of, oh, well, how is your personal opinion going to affect your enforcement of the law? Senator Sessions, uh, his response has generally been, well, I will enforce the law 
as it is. Um, he has said today, and, and I'll talk more about this, why maybe we shouldn't trust it entirely, but his words are that as the attorney general, he's no longer a lawmaker. He is supposed to be, uh, at least for the most part, an objective part of the executive branch in which he not only enforces laws, but makes recommendations based on the Constitution and based on existing laws and court case, and, you know, Supreme Court cases and existing legal framework in this country. He has to make recommendations based off of that and off of that alone. His personal opinion should be dictated by the legal opinion. And I, I just think it's so interesting that the Democrats are all of the sudden so concerned about the fact that, oh, no, he has personal opinions that don't fit our agenda. Well, you have an attorney general at the moment who has personal opinions that are led by a political ideology. And you're OK with her uh, interpreting and, and selectively enforcing the law based on based on that. Now, listen, I, I don't think Jeff Sessions would be the best attorney general. He's certainly not my my first choice. But I also don't think that um, I also don't think that from from the from the 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 perspective of just you know, kind of this this legal uh, minded matter. I, I don't think he'll be a bad attorney general based on these answers that he's been uh, that he's been giving. However, there there does there does come to mind one thing you have to think of when you hear these people in these hearings. Uh, a Senate confirmation hearing is, in essence, a job interview, except instead of one to three or four executives, you are in front of an entire committee of the Senate. So it's a, it's a little more, uh, a little more uh, uh, threatening, if you will. Probably makes you a little more nervous. It was interesting whenever he first started. He, he seems to be doing fine as the afternoon goes on. But when he first started, he kind of broke up reading a statement. And I think he was nervous and how adorable. But I do think that there's a difference between what nominees say in these confirmation hearings based uh, or and, and how they act in office. And we've seen this from time and time again. This isn't a groundbreaking idea. The idea that, oh, wow, people are going to say what the senators want to hear. And for Sessions today, it's been a lot of, uh, well, I will uphold the law. I will uphold the law. My personal opinion won't come into that. So while I, you know, I, I, I think you have to take all this with a grain of salt, I, I still, I, I think he'll be an okay attorney general, perhaps not the best. Um, I, but you know, all we can do is keep them accountable and play the clip. If he ever does anything, you play the clip where he said, I will uphold the law as it is. You play the clip where he said, my personal opinion and my political ideology, once I'm attorney general, should not come into play. And I will advise the president of what the legal thing would be to do. And I will tell the president, no, when need be. I really hope Sessions will do that. And I do think that he's going to be uh, confirmed on that. So, it, it'll be interesting, but what I'm saying is, you know, there, there's certainly a difference. But when it comes to when it comes to Sessions or anyone, um, these senators they they know what they're doing. Uh, I, I think their questions have been for the most part fair for Sessions, um, but also some of them are being 
just a bit dramatic. And I understand Cory Booker wants to run for president in 2020, so he has to get his name ID up. He can no longer be the bipartisan senator that he's claimed that he's been all this time. He's going to become extremely more partisan in the coming years. And and, and that's fine. That's, that's the political structure, and he's free to do so. I just hope that he continues working on uh, on some more substantive issues as well. So the other uh, the other nominee that they will be hearing from soon is Rex Tillerson, and he is of course Donald Trump's um, appointment for Secretary of State, which I was hoping was going to be Mitt Romney. No, no, uh, no surprise there. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, Romney and uh, and Trump don't have a similar foreign policy. Namely, Romney is not going to. Um, is not going to kiss up to Putin. He's not going to uh, work on behalf of the Russian government inside the United States government. I think Rex Tillerson will. Um, Rex Tillerson obviously has a big connection with Russia, great friends with Vladimir Putin, and it can be argued that it is a business relationship as the head on X, as the head of ExxonMobil. He's had to have these strategic global partnerships. I do think there's a line, and I think Tillerson has crossed it. I, and I think especially when you have the FBI report coming out, or the CIA report coming out, that Russia, without a doubt, in my opinion, and and indeed with the in, in the opinion of the American intelligence community, Russia had a part in influencing the election. They didn't hack the election. They didn't rig it, but they did influence it. And I actually think that President Obama knew about this a lot earlier uh, than he let on. But you know, they thought Hillary would win. So why say anything? So on one hand. Tillerson's connection to Russia could be good, could also be very bad. We are playing a dangerous game of 50-50 here uh, because we really don't know the extent of it. I, I am sure that he will be questioned on it during his hearing. In fact, that's probably going to be more interesting than any other hearing is Tillerson's hearing. But my view is that Putin, Vladimir Putin of Russia, is playing the long game. I don't think for Putin the Cold War ever ended. I don't think the Russian government is bending over backwards to look uh, for areas where they can work with the U.S. I really do think that that any air of cooperation with American interest has uh, in ha- has a motive behind it, and not exactly the most pure of motives. I agree with President Obama's position whenever he spoke out, spoke out about the Russian hacking, although I wish he would have done it sooner, as a leader should, when he said, quote, the Russians can't change us or significantly weaken us. They are a smaller country, they are a weaker country, and their economy does not produce anything that anybody wants to buy except oil and gas and arms. They don't innovate. Boy, you wonder why he's not popular in Russia. Uh, you wonder why maybe that little red button easy, uh, that little red button reset didn't work. But I agree with the sentiment. I, I just don't know if I would have said it that aggressively. So dramatic. But what I do think is that it is uh, it, it is certainly um, it, like it's fair. It's it's absolutely fair to question Tillerson about his involvement with Russia. This is. As Senator Graham and Senator McCain have said, this isn't a, a, a partisan issue. This isn't about, you know, Democrats hating Russia and Republicans loving Russia because 
At the end of the day, Russia is, as Mitt Romney said in 2012, thank you, Father, he is one of, he is America's largest, most significant geopolitical threat. And we're treating them like they're not. And I think one good thing that could come out, not saying it will, but could come out of the Trump administration is a more hardline approach with Russia. Not throwing out diplomatic means, but saying that that we're not going to be a weak partner anymore. We're not going to be uh, a, a weak presence on the global stage because for too long, President Obama has had this... Um, this attitude of retreatism when it comes to the global stage because he doesn't want to tick anyone off. And in the process, he's significantly weakened our stature in the world. President Obama himself is not seen as a strong leader by other international leaders, especially Vladimir Putin, who, you know, being the human he is, respects power and authority, and at least strong leadership from people. President Obama has not provided that. He has not shown that. I think President Trump will. I think Mitt Romney would have done that, but that's just me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Rex Tillerson, I'm not too sure about that. But definitely um, definitely a, a hearing to listen. The Another one that I'm very excited about, because as a 21-year-old, you know, what can you get more excited about uh, than Senate confirmation hearings? You know you're a Politico win. Uh, Betsy DeVos at Education. Uh, originally, I was not the biggest fan of, of, uh, of Betsy DeVos, but I've really come around to it. Um, and I want to share some thoughts on education. It's one of the, the areas of research that I really enjoy um, researching. Uh, it's one of the topics that I feel very passionate about. And I've, I've been working on a number of pieces about the American education system. I think that this new administration, as new administrations always are, kind of a breath of fresh air in the sense that it's a blank canvas. And these departments, while it's very hard to truly change how a department operates, there's a lot of, of room for improvement. I really think U.S. education policy can go in a new and exciting direction with Betsy DeVos at the helm. Uh, U.S. education for the longest time, you know, we, we are one of the countries that spend the most per student than any other country. And yes, and, and yet we get some of the worst results among developed leading countries. Um, and the thing I like about Betsy DeVos is that she is a, a school choice advocate and a charter school advocate. And charter schools, just in case you don't know, the real brief idea is that they are funded by the government. They are quote, chartered by the government. That's why they're called charter schools. Uh, and, and, and there's flexibility in their curriculum. There's flexibility in their approach. So you actually see a lot of charter schools um, in inner city areas, the, these places where inner city education has not done very well, right? Like it hasn't done its job. The students are not being better equipped uh, in these inner city schools or even just some of the, the more poorer schools. It's not always in inner cities. I don't mean to sound like Trump saying that cities have gone to hell. Well, what I am saying is that there there are these these uh, these communities, these poorer communities, many of them are in inner cities just by the demographics of it, uh, but they get these charter schools because it's the idea of, well, the traditional public school system is not working. 
And these charter schools can come up with unique and innovative ideas and methods of teaching. And you actually see in, in many of these cases, the reason why I love charter schools is because they do adequately prepare for the most part kids to go off to college and even be successful beyond that. But not just that, but they they in, in many ways return um, a joy in learning. And that's really, I think, something missing from public school. It's, it's this... Um, it's this system where it's like, oh, I'm going to prison for seven, eight hours a day, and that's not the way it should be. And Betsy DeVos, n- not only through her, um, well, through her life's work and through her family's and her family's uh, uh, foundation and through some nonprofits she's involved with, she's been an advocate for school choice and charter schools. I don't think it's a perfect program, but I think it's far better than what we have, and it's a great alternative. Um, A lot of people will criticize her saying that she's not supportive of public schooling, that she much prefers private schools and charter schools, and she doesn't think that public education is necessarily a good thing. And to those people, I would say, doesn't she have a point? I mean, I'm not saying that public education is incredibly terrible and that we should get rid of it. Certainly no, uh, because that would just drive the socialists crazy. What I am saying, though, is that public school has has clearly failed and it needs reform. And I, I think that... Um, I, I think that having that at um, putting that on the front burner of the Department of, Educa- uh, of Education is important. Instead of developing new ways to test students and coming out with crap like Common Core, maybe we should come up with ways of instead of, hmm, how can we how can we prepare students to take a test? We could change our our thinking to how can we prepare students to have a successful life, to go to college and to learn the skills, not just to make them employees, but to make them leaders and to make them productive uh, members of society. Um, as Ben Sass uh, commonly says, there is a, a a civic ignorance in our schools because kids are not taught about civics in a way that is relevant to them, in a way that that uh, that they are able to understand. A lot of kids leave school and and, and they don't understand the the idea of paying taxes. They don't even understand uh, you know how to vote. Something as simple as that. They don't fully understand how the government works and how. Um, and, and what civic engagement means and the importance of that. A really good documentary I saw recently. It's kind of a docu-series, I guess you would call it. It's on Netflix. Um, Morgan Spurlock, who's the guy who ate McDonald's for a month. That's how he got popular. Uh, he has this new documentary or documentary series. I believe it's on CNN, but uh, you can stream it through Netflix. Um, where he kind of tackles these different topics and Uh, I was flipping through just to see if anyone caught my eye, and one of them was education. I'm always skeptical whenever uh, a documentary explores a topic, especially in this format, because I I think it was about 45 minutes. It was either 30 or 45 minutes. It was a short um, it was a short episode on this topic that actually is, is very complicated and nuanced. So I was a little skeptical. But what I've done since then is some research, and it's just interesting some of the some of the the themes that he explored in his show. And he did an episode on education and he compared the education system of the United States, like the, 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 the general public school education of the United States. Then he went over to Finland and, and saw how their public schools operate. And then he came back to, I believe it was New York. It was definitely an inner city charter school. He came back to a, a charter school. I'm pretty sure it was New York city. And he examined how, uh, how they operated and what their, um, educational ideology, if you will, or outlook or, or method or, or 
whatever label you want to attach to it, how they handled uh, this education issue. And it was very interesting. And what he kind of took away with at the at the end of the episode, I think, is um, is really powerful. He said, first of all, that the thing that stood out to him about teaching in Finland is that there was not an emphasis on testing. It was largely the honor system. They believed in their students enough to believe that they were invested in their education. Now, clearly, that sounds like a very utopian idea that, oh, all, of course, all students want to be invested in their education. That's not always the case. There are certainly a lot of students who are uninspired by education, but that actually goes to this other part. In Finland, he discovered that homework was about 30 minutes a day, 15 to 30 minutes a day, and that was about it. I, I can tell you as someone who grew up in, in a public school system, and actually a very good public school system, like I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not being negative about that at all. But I can say that, uh, that, you know, I, I've, I've seen this, I, I had in elementary school, three hours of homework, and that was just in math. And in high school, that actually decreased a little bit. But, uh, but, but usually it's largely about the, the teacher's own outlook on that. I feel like some of them are just like, I don't want to grade, which me as a teacher. Uh, but so there, there was less emphasis on testing and homework and more emphasis on, oh, I don't know, actual productive learning in the classroom. Instead of teaching how to take a test, you're teaching the subjects and, and the subject matter that would end up being on the test. There's also uh, an emphasis on on just the profession of teaching in Finland. It is prestigious there. Um, it is a hard thing to, to become. It's hard to become a teacher in Finland. The process for becoming a teacher is highly selective. And in fact, when he was explaining it in the documentary, it sounded like becoming a lawyer here. In fact, possibly harder than being a lawyer here. Now, the big difference is that Finland has 10 million students. Uh, I, I think the United States is 30 million, if I, if, if I remember correctly. So, you, so on, on, a larger, on a larger scale, this, this, may, not be, um, this may not be incredibly uh, feasible. However, I do think uh, the big thing that we can take away is our education system should be focused on education, not training. And, and, and you see that that is actually the purpose of, of, of education, especially in the countries that kind of came of age in this during their industrialization periods. Education and schooling, public schooling, became about training future workers by doing repetitive tasks, by testing to make sure that they understood something. It was all about training workers. It wasn't about creating well-rounded people. It wasn't about educating them because of the sole benefits of education in and of itself. It wasn't about empowering them to become leaders. It wasn't about unlocking a student's God-given potential. It wasn't about any of this. It was about training them to become employees, which I think, you know, it's important to have employees, right? It's, impo it's important that, that people know how to, how to, how to work in a, in a, um, in a setting like that. But it's also important that our education system empowers people, educates them over training them, and gives them more trust. Uh, another school that, that, uh, that Spurlock went to was a school for um, children who had uh, histories of, uh, of 
behavioral problems, violence, uh, just not doing well in school. And this school, instead of having rules, like like set in stone rules, uh, it, it was very, and this was in the United States, they, they let the students create the rules. They, they encouraged a, uh, a democracy uh, within their school system. And they actually found that behavioral problems improved, violence went down, grades went up. All these great things started happening because they started putting trust in the students, just as Finland did, and just as the charter school that he explored did as well. So I, I recommend you checking that out. Uh, education is certainly something that uh, I'm excited about in, in these next few years. And I hope Betsy DeVos uh, can can actually turn things around. I don't wish her ill at all. I wish her very well. I also hope that she, uh, she funds... Um, co-curricular activities for schools or that she not not she you know funds it but that, that she encourages um, school systems and and certainly our federal education system to support those types of programs as always here's the thing with any of these political appointments as always we have a responsibility to hold them accountable we have to give credit where credit is due with full suspicion of what motives may be and we have to criticize where criticism is due with a full focus on solutions. We can't just say, oh, this person's idea is crap or this person is crap. We have to say, no, because we believe that the better alternative, the, 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 the better option is X, Y, Z. So I think that's what our role should be, um, especially within the first 100 days of the Trump administration, as we will see many of these political appointments um, kind of being reviewed by the Senate and then taking their place at the heads of the departments if and when they are confirmed. And my hope, my hope, my prayer is that uh, is, is that this year um, is a turning point for the United States government. As much as I disagree with the president-elect, uh, I still wish them the best of success because the, the president's success is our, is our country's success. And so the, the important thing is give them credit where credit is due, hold them accountable, criticize them when they need to. And uh, next week, I will be back with an episode about Obama's legacy, specifically, and I'm really researching for this one, what positives have come out of President Obama's eight years in the White House. So join me for that one. In the meantime, make sure to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you haven't already, subscribe. Also subscribe to the other podcasts that we do at the Outset Network, including Maliberty with Caleb Franz and Young Guns, our panel show. Uh, and, and you can connect with me on social media at Stephen underscore Perkins, Facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. And you can connect with Outset on those social media channels as well. Until next week, God bless. Keep the faith. Take care. Take care.